0: Come on, you can do better than that. There you go. Need to get my, I, you know, this is my clock I have up here every week. If you're wondering what's on the other side of sometimes, sometimes I'm keeping track of Clash of the Clans, make sure nobody's attacking my village or anything like that. But. What's that? Don't send me a request. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But my watch, I was, I was. I was clapping so hard during worship, the pin that holds my watch band to my watch came flying out, and it uh, came flying off, I know, which that's, that's aggressive for me, Kevin, because I can't dance, so I'd have to clap to get all my dancing into my hands. It happens all in my hands, so. Actually, I think Vanessa might have sabotaged it because I keep things for a long time, you know, if you saw the picture of, of, uh, that she put up for us for our anniversary on Facebook, that I'm wearing a hat, and one of the pictures, I still own that hat, it's, I've had that hat for, like, Thirty years, yeah. The brim is pushing through the fabric, and it's yeah. Now it's my workout side hat, but I've had that watch probably for ten. So I think Vanessa might have, you know, there could be some sabotage going on. So I'm, I'm I move my watch game up a little bit. So, hey, we are in our uh, in a series called Next. we we've, we've named it this because. And, and this text in Matthew 13, 52 uh, talks about, a, it's a parable where Jesus says there's somebody he brings treasures out of his storeroom, treasures both new and old, and, and there's lots of layers of, of understanding into that. But one of them is that you've got to understand whether or not it, uh, the, the thing that you're passionate about, is it a new treasure or an old treasure? Meaning that new treasures have seasons. New, new treasures might, there, there might be a time where you don't treasure that anymore, and, and, a, and a church, for it to be healthy, has to make sure that it can discern between those things, what are the old treasures, the things that we're going to keep with us forever, and what are the things that might be a focus and an emphasis just for a time and a and a season. So we've been talking about things that are old treasures to us as a church. We've been talking about things that we value, things that are important to us, things that that define the culture of the City Life Church, things that define our belief system here. And so last week we started talking a little bit about spiritual language, and we're going to get back in into that tonight. If you weren't here last week, you can uh, listen to the podcast. So, but I did have one one picture about for our our wedding anniversary, I wanted to put up there, I know, I know, yeah, we're good looking, aren't we? Come on, or at least we used to be, at least we used to be, so I put that picture up here, because just like my fortune cookie story is better than your fortune cookie story, my wedding picture story is better than your wedding picture story, and so, so when we first moved here in 2007, we were having some people over from the church and, and uh, just getting to know people. And, and one couple, as they were, were leaving, the, uh, the wife said to her, to her husband, wow, that Fred, he is a really nice guy. And the husband was like, what do you, what do you mean? What do you, what do you mean? Because he could tell that she was really like, like he's like beyond normal nice. And, and, uh, and she said, did you know that, that Vanessa was, was married before? I didn't know that about their story. And, uh, and he said, she, she, was, she wasn't married before. This, this is the first marriage for both of them. And, and she said, no, didn't you see that wedding picture coming down the stairs in the hallway? That's not that's that Fred, that's some other guy. Wow. And, and he, and she was, right? Because that's nice because that's what she's thinking. He loves her so much that he lets her keep the wedding picture of her first marriage on the wall of their house. I mean, is that not grace or what? because I'm just telling you, I am not that nice, right? Just in case that you were questioning that in any way. So, and, and that's not the first time that's happened. Uh, Vanessa started a mops ministry at the church we came from, mothers of preschoolers, and so we would get together at the end of every mops season, and, and we would do different games at different times. And one year, you all, everybody brought their wedding picture, and we won the prize for the most unrecognizable right, because they vote on the different, you know, different ones, and so apparently that uh, there's a, there's a, there's a theme there. So anyways, all right, just had to throw that out there. We'd like to loosen you up a little bit, right, because some of you come up tight a little bit to church, so we got to, got to loosen you up a little bit, get you to relax and laugh a little bit with us. All right, so so last week we introduced, I'm just going to do a tiny bit of intro, but not a lot. You've got to listen to the podcast. Or we'll get the notes online uh, this, this week for the, uh, and if ever we don't get the notes online or there's a question that you have about something that we're teaching, info at the Church, com. info at, no, I'm sorry. It's info at citylifeva.com. Info at citylifeva.com. You email that. We'll send you the notes. If we've forgotten to put them online, we'll get them posted up there. But we like to get the outlines of the messages up there for all the, the Bible references. And uh, so, so, so there are four main uses of the word baptism in the Bible. It's important that we understand that because if we don't recognize the different uses of the word, sometimes we'll miss out on one, and that's what often happens to the last one. So we worked through these last week. Again, we're not going to work through them again tonight, but Hebrews 6.2 talks about baptisms, doctrines of baptisms. It uses the plural there. You can look that up. And so the writer of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is assuming that the people that were reading that letter hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, understood that there was more than one baptism I agree with Larry Kreider. I think these are the four main ones there's your water baptism there is being baptized into the church which is symbolic which I love that because in the Greek baptism is the word baptizo and it means to be made fully wet and that's the only way to be a part of a church is to be all in you with me to immerse yourself love that imagery Luke 3, 16 talks about a baptism of suffering. It it uses the metaphor baptism of fire. Many people confuse that with the last one because there were tongues of fire that came on the day of Pentecost. But this is a different kind of baptism. It's a baptism of suffering. It's times where Jesus walks us and leads us into difficult places because it shapes our character. And Acts 1-5 talks about a baptism in the Spirit, and that's where we've been focusing our time together last weekend and where we're going to finish it up tonight. And so I want to read to you, because we didn't read the full text last week, so I want to do it tonight. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. We usually don't cover this much ground, but let's, let's do it tonight. It's Acts 2, 1-21, through 21. Acts 2, 1-21, through 21, if you've got your Bible. On the day of Pentecost, now that's an important detail. Again, you need to listen to the podcast if you missed that. All the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. We talked about this idea, they were already filled with the Holy Spirit in the sense that the Spirit of God was indwelling them because in John 20, 22, Jesus appeared to them and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit and it said he breathed on them. So this is a separate encounter with the Holy Spirit. We explained all of that last week. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. They would converge on Jerusalem there for the, the, the Feast of Passover. The Feast of Pentecost was 50 days later. That's what penta means, 50. So it happened 50 days after the Feast of Passover. So many of these people, they would stay on to get this other feast in before they would travel back to their homes. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. See, it, 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 was, it was such a, a pronounced uh, stirring that it caused the people of the city to become running and converge on this place, the upper room where they were sitting. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed, these people are from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking our own native languages. Galilee was a rural community. It was a fishing community. It was maybe what you would call a blue-collar community. The people there would not be known to, 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 to be educated in multiple languages. So they were shocked that these Galileans were, were speaking in all of these languages from all around the world. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, in the areas of Libya and Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our languages about the wonderful things God has done. It's interesting to me that the text does not say that they were speaking in those languages. The text says they heard those languages being spoken. Does that make sense? There can be a difference there. So it doesn't necessarily mean that the language they were speaking were these. It just means that there's something supernatural happening here. They were speaking in a language they did not understand what they were saying and then there was something supernatural that was stirring that were causing people to hear those languages that were being spoken but to hear them in their own native tongue. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What could this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed, saying they're just drunk, that's all. Now I've got a pretty sordid past that I'm pretty honest about, so I've been intoxicated many, many times in my life. And can I just tell you all the times that I stumbled around drunk the first 23 years of my life, never did it help me speak better, right? Is it just me? Or is there anybody else that could attest to that? That the more you have to drink, the more clear you begin to articulate. I'm just saying. It's just, I don't see how those things connect there. Just a little own personal commentary for myself. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming at 9 o'clock in the morning. It's much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. And in those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants. Men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below and blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will be dark and the moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord's arrival. But everyone, come on this Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Father, as we dig into this text tonight, as we say so often, let this text dig into us, oh God. And, and whoever the person that's here tonight, Father, that, that, that did not find their way to the front of the church during that song and, and, and thought that that moment of just their heart pounding out of their chest had come and gone, let it come on them one more time. That even in this moment, that they would say, that that verse is for me, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord be saved. Father, whoever that person is, let it be that they would not wait much longer to yield to your presence, to yield to your power, and to give their heart to you. Come on, in Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen amen all right so let me do this we don't always do this but if you were here last week question maybe something you wrote down in your notes and said i didn't understand this point or i had a question about this i just thought i would pause anybody have a question from last week you might not and that's okay anybody just thought we would just take just because i know it's, we covered a lot of ground last week Am i missing a hand anywhere all right no all right info at citylifeva we like your questions call we answer our phone if you've got questions about, and then we go to some deep places sometimes together on Saturday We cover a lot of ground together on Saturday. If you have those questions, don't just sit there, right? Make sure that you get in touch with us because we love to have those conversations. If there's bigger questions, we'll get together for coffee or lunch. Or, all right, so we covered this. Is it different from my vow of devotion to Jesus? We talked about that at length last weekend. The other thing that we talked about is it's something that I should expect. So we covered this in great t- detail last week. That What they experienced in Acts chapter two was different from the moment that the Spirit of God indwelt them through their vow of devotion to Christ. And then we talked about how this is something that everyone should expect because some people will say, well, I believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I just don't believe it's for everybody. And so our purpose last week was to say, hey, let's talk about what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit and let's talk about how this experience is for everyone. That God longs for all of us to cross that threshold of experiencing something supernatural with the Spirit of God that lives inside of me. If you remember, we used the analogy that I had uh, picked up the, that week from uh, watching a teaching on the Holy Spirit that talked about the snow globe. Remember that, the snow globe analogy? That if you've ever had a snow globe before and, and all the snow is in there and it's on the bottom, but then when you shake it up, that, then it fills the inside. And that's what it's like when you experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit for the first time. All of who God is already in you, but there's something about yielding to Him and letting the Spirit of God that's already in you fill you up on the inside. All right, so I want to do three tonight. We're going to cover three tonight. This one is, will I lose control of myself? If you're at the Bell's Life Group and there's food, the answer to that is yes, because the food there is really good as it is in so many of our life groups. This was turned in as a pick me. We've said if you throw in a, a post a picture on the City Life Church Facebook page and put hashtag pick me, then we're going to see if we can find a way to work it into the media. So all the pictures were, were were those types of offerings. And so I love this picture here of fellowship happening in the church. So so some of you, you would say, Fred, after listening to, to last week's message, I believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something different. I encounter God in a different way than, than when I make a vow of devotion to Him. And, and, and And you've got me warming up to the idea that it's for everyone, that it's something that I should pray for and and long for to experience myself. But maybe you're saying, but i got to tell you, Fred, I'm just a little bit nervous that maybe I'm going to lose control of myself because I've been in churches and in settings before where it seems like the people I'm watching aren't in control of themselves. And and if that means that I've got to do that, then I don't really want it. And so my answer to you is that you will be in control of yourself to the degree that you already are. Right? So if you're a person that, that maybe you struggle with wanting attention drawn to you, if you're a person that tends to just be not have good self-control, then then that doesn't necessarily go away right away. Right? And it might be that you've seen people at times where, where they, their excuses. I couldn't help myself, I was in the Spirit, we're going to talk about that, but by the virtue of the fact that they said I couldn't help myself should be the first indication that the Holy Spirit didn't have anything to do with that because that's not who the Holy Spirit is. Larry Kreider, another quote here, says, people hear negative things about Spirit-baptized people, so have I. But we live by the Word of God, not by other people's experiences. We may see something happen in the name of the Holy Spirit that may not be the Holy Spirit at all and think, if that's the Holy Spirit, I want nothing to do with it. But we cannot throw out the baptism of the Holy Spirit because of what we saw or experienced that was not authentic. Sometimes it is a move of the Spirit of God that's very real and very genuine in their life, but it's how they're responding to the Spirit of God where self gets in and then they get out of control. Listen to Galatians 5. This is an important text for us. Galatians 5. I'm going to start reading actually a little bit farther back. This says verse 22. I'm going to start back a little bit more. I'm going to start in 19. It says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, that's when your humanity is in control. The results are very clear sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. But let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, Paul's not saying that if you succumb to temptation and, 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 and maybe a moment of your life can be described by this that you're not going to heaven anymore. What Paul's saying is, is if you reject Christ in exchange for this lifestyle, does that make sense? Those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Listen to what he says. Love and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and here's the last one, self-control. There is no law against any of these. I love that last statement in that list. The text would have been amazing without it, but the Holy Spirit is always perfect and always complete in everything that he does, and so he inspired. I don't wonder, so I like to imagine, what was it like when the the Apostle Paul was writing this letter? Did he stop there and then think, no, I'm going to finish this last little sentence. This idea that there's no law against these, Paul is saying, hey, when it comes to this kind of fruit, there's no such thing as excess. There's excess in the world. The, when these our, our humanity understands excess because so many times we step into moments of excess we go too far but Paul is saying with these things in this list you can't have too much of these things there's no such thing as having too much love there's no such thing as having too much joy right there's no such thing as having too much love there's no such thing as having too much self-control So when people say, I couldn't help it, I was in the Spirit, the very Word of God says the fruit of the Spirit is not ever a lack of self-control, it's just the opposite. The more the Spirit is present in the moment, the more self-control that you're going to find because that's who He is. That's the fruit that we're taught through God's Word. So I remember when I shared my story of, of experiencing the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, last week, uh, it was in March of 1991, I made a vow of devotion to Christ in December of 1990, and then it was at that Sunday night church service in March of 1991, and so when I went home that night, that uh, I went to sleep, and I, and I had this dream, I'm a dreamer, anybody else a dreamer? I dream every night, right? I can't wait to go to bed, because it's like going to the movies, right? It's just, the, it's, it's wonder, anybody else, am I the only one? I know, come on, don't don't be embarrassed, come on, stand up, all right, because not everybody has that, right, all right. I remember when Vanessa and I were first married, she would say, do you, do you have a dream, like, all the time? I was like, yeah, you don't. She said, no, and that's not fair. <laughs> so I had this dream that, that um, there was, I worked at the, the Christian Children's Fund, the International Child Sponsorship Agency then, and uh, there was a McDonald's ac- across the street from them that I pretty much kept in business while I was working there for breakfast and lunch. And so in my dream, I'm going through the drive through at the McDonald's as I always did right there on West Broad Street, just on the other side of Glenside Drive. And, and, uh, and as I pull up to the, to the box where they take my order, I open my mouth to start talking, and I can only speak in spiritual language in my dream. I've lost the ability to communicate in English with the world, right, in my dream, right, because that's my fear, right, that's my fear, I've lost control of myself, and so, so then I pull away in my dream, I'm embarrassed, and I go to work, and I get on the elevator, and my boss, Bonnie, gets on the, on the elevator with me, I'm like, dear God, don't say anything to me, right, because I can't talk in English anymore, which is going to be difficult, because I'm a manager in a customer service department, and all that I do all day is talk to people, and so, of course, she says hi, and then I try to say hi, and, and the only thing that comes out of spiritual language and my dream this keeps playing out it was like a comedy right but I'm petrified that here I've trusted God I've given my life to him and I've yielded myself to this incredible experience and now I'm the freak that lives in the world right that was my my big fear and so I wake up from that dream and I'm laughing as I wake up because I'm thinking to myself God has the most amazing sense of humor doesn't he Because one of the ways that he deals with our fears is is by putting us in circumstances and situations to remind us, hey, what kind of God do you think that I am? I would never do that to you. I'm a father. I'm a perfect father. What kind of perfect father demeans his children? What kind of perfect father does things like that to their kids just to laugh at them? Right? Maybe some of you would say, well, I've done that a few times. Okay, all right, fair enough. But God would never do that to you. He does not want you to walk through this life with no sense of control over who you are. And what I would say to you, one of the greatest marks of spiritual maturity are the people in this world who have a measure of self-control that cause the rest of us to say, I hope one day I can be there in that place. It does not mean that self-control does not mean that they are reserved and quiet and We're not saying that, right? That's a personality trait. You can have people that are gregarious and loud and funny in the life of the party, but every time you watch them, you go, wow, they are just, they always seem to be in control of themselves and never are beyond the moment that they are supposed to be. That's the place that God wants to take us to. Remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. This is 1 Corinthians 14.32, and I put in in, in the text here, that's my own insertion, that parenthetical clause, don't be a distraction. That's what we teach here at this church, that's what we teach. We have the don't be a distraction right? And so when when the worship experience is, is loud and, and, and vivacious and, and energetic, then be a part of the moment with us, right? But when, but when we step into a quiet place, that, that you shouldn't be dancing around the front of the church. Does that make sense? Because then you're out of step with the room and then you've become a distraction. All of us as followers of Christ have a responsibility to ask the question, How is my attitude, my behavior, my volume, my life right now, how is it affecting other people that are are around me? You and I have a responsibility to never be a distraction to the people that are in the room who are having an encounter with the Spirit of God. Now, are there certain services that maybe we have where there's a little bit more liberty and there's a little bit more freedom and nights where we do extended worship and maybe there's lots of songs that are extended that maybe are a little bit more upbeat, then we're all a little bit more free. The question is, are you in step with everybody else in the room? Does that make sense? You tracking with me? It's, it's, it's the only rule that we have for our worship team about dress and everything else. We don't have this big, thick 85-page manual. We just have, we have one question. Are, are we a distraction in any way? The sound booth, they, they understand that. The people that are working the sound, the volume of the sound, the mix of it, we just have one room. Let's not be a distraction. We have a responsibility when we come together for corporate worship to help facilitate an encounter that other people are gonna experience with the creator of the universe. And so my volume and my behavior and everything about myself should serve the moment and the people that I'm with. Let's read in 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14. This is what Paul's talking about here. He wrote the letter to the church of Corinth because they were a church that was out of order, and so he brings some correction to them. 1 Corinthians 14, I'm going to start reading in verse 22. This is one of the most misused texts in the church today to talk about why spiritual language should not be a part of the church, and because it's misunderstood, it's misused, and so they end up with a wrong application. He says, so you see that speaking in tongues, or we like to say spiritual language because nobody uses the word tongue to reference language anymore, right? All right, We, we, say, we say language. So, so and speaking in spiritual language is a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers, Paul writes. Prophecy, however, is for the benefit of the believer. That's a message from God that comes in the language of the people that are there, not unbelievers, Listen to verse 23, even so if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting, right, and this is where people take a terrible turn in interpreting the text. It does not say church meetings in general. Paul's saying, hey, there's a problem with your church. Does that make sense? He's writing to a specific people about a specific problem. So he, he gives them a teaching on what it should be, and then he says, but you're not, you're not doing it the right way. So when people come into your church, the Church of Corinth, when they come into your church meeting, and here, everyone speaking in an unknown language, they're gonna think that you're crazy, but if all of you are prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they will be convicted of sin and be judged by what you say, and maybe you're following the text like I am and saying, well, I thought he said that prophecy was for the believer and not for the unbeliever. Paul's saying, hey, if you're gonna get something wrong, if you're gonna give yourself to excess, if you can't get this thing under control, at least do something that people can understand what you're saying, does that make sense? As they listen, the secret thoughts will be exposed, and they will fall on their knees and worship God, declaring, God is truly here among you. All right, now let me jump over to Romans 14, 14 through 19. Love these texts. Romans 14, 14 through 19. I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat, and everybody said, amen. Come on. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person, it's wrong. We've talked about this before. He's talking about matters of conscience. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you're not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone else whom Christ died for. He's talking about foregoing liberties here. Then you will not be criticized for doing something that you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other, uh, this is the fill-in-the-blank text. We talk about that here. It's texts in the Bible that are teaching us a transcendent truth, and then the fill-in-the-blank is a direct application for that truth. And so here, Paul is saying, live your life in such a way where you have a, a sense of responsibility for the people around you. Live your life in such a way that even though you might feel as though you're at liberty to do it, even though you might feel I should be allowed to do this, even though that, that I would prefer it this way, that you make this decision, but I know that there's a risk that it might have a negative effect on people around me, so I'm going to forgo the thing that I'm at liberty to do for the sake of the people around me. The application here is the great controversy over foods because most of the people that became Christians in the first century, the majority of them initially came out of a life of Judaism. And in the life of Judaism, there are strict dietary laws. And so there was strong division that was happening in the early church about whether or not people that that, that aren't Jews and, and follow Christ are going to be required to. Continue on with these dietary laws, and then there was a great controversy about whether or not people who were devout Jews, who were now followers of Christ, whether or not they were free to walk out of those dietary laws. Right? It was a huge controversy two thousand years ago. We don't have that controversy so much anymore, but hey, we have our own controversies, do we not? Right? The church, and we're always going to have controversy because we're people, and that's what people do. What Paul says, no matter what your controversy, it's a fill—that's a fill-in-the-blank thing. The principle is, the principle is what's your motivation. When you step into a corporate worship service is your heart for the other people that are in the room. If I'm only there for myself, then I'm going to express myself how I want, when I want, in whatever manner I want with no sense of how my worship might have an impact on other people. And Paul says to you, and he says to me, that's not what Jesus modeled for us. Ask the question, how and who I am right now is the impact that I'm having on the rest of the room that's with me. And Paul talks about this in his letters. He's not saying we live our lives letting other people control us. That's not what we're talking about. It's, a, it's an attitude of the heart that I'm here to serve the people I'm with. And when we step into this place of experiencing the baptism of the Holy Spirit, does it not stand to reason that in that moment of experiencing something supernatural, that the fruit of that and the evidence of that should be all the more of serving the people around me. It should be all the more of being a caretaker of other people's encounters. It should be all the more of me saying to myself, I want to worship God in such a way that serves what's in the best interest of the people that are with me right now. We like to say as a church that we believe in all the power without the pageantry right? We believe in all the power without the pageantry. And there's some churches that the pageantry is part of their culture, and we're not saying that those churches are wrong. We're just saying that's not part of who we are, and who we are is based on this understanding of these texts. And those churches are going to have different understanding of those texts, and that's what makes the world a beautiful place, is that we stand in a place of mutual respect, loving one another. You with me? All right. Now, say I love this picture, Because Laura's an elder in the church and she's over all of kids' ministries, but this is what she does to children at the Oktoberfest every year is that she dupes them into saying a prayer and while they're praying, she steals their candy. (laughs) It's shameful, isn't it? Shameful. All right, I know. Is that not the best picture in the world? Where's the Hatton family? Laura owes your daughter some candy. I'm just saying. Owes your daughter some candy. All right, number four. So, so maybe you're here tonight, and you're saying, "Well, Fred, I, I'm following. I'm, I'm tracking with you." Baptism of the Holy Spirit is different from a vow of devotion to Christ. It's, it's something that I should experience, and I, and I get this. All these things that I've seen that have made me nervous, that I'm realizing I can't, I shouldn't base my decision on that because that's not really who God is. I'm not going to lose control of myself. That's not what a perfect father would do to his children. But, so maybe you're at the point where you're saying, I believe in the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I believe that it's for everyone, but this idea of spiritual language, that part of it is not for everyone. So let's take up that question. Now I'm going to read, this is hipster Fred here, just in case you're wondering who that is, right? That's me, believe it or not. I know, see, I know, I know, I know. That's what we did, we were doing the, uh, uh, raising money, and, we, and when we crossed certain thresholds, and when we crossed a certain threshold, Vanessa and I did a makeover, and we let the young adults do a makeover for each of us, and I, you know, dressed like that, and my, my, my kids said, you should dress like that all the time. I said, well, I'm 47, so I can't, okay? So those, those days have come and gone, but that's just a little nod to myself that if I wanted to, I could. That's all I'm saying, all I'm saying. I want to read three texts here because the Bible talks about spiritual language in three different ways. And it's the same with baptisms. If we don't understand the different ways that the Bible speaks to spiritual language and we lump it all into one category, it creates confusion. But when we get to the different ideas about spiritual language that the Bible gives to us and we get them in the category that they belong in, all of a sudden there's clarity and clarity brings understanding. Oftentimes understanding leads to our own encounter. So in 1 Corinthians 12, 29 through 30, we're not going to read these verses, I'm just giving them to you from my note takers. It says, there is a person whose primary gift to the body of Christ is a prophetic ministry of declaring a message from God that must be accompanied by an interpretation this might not be your calling. So as you're digging around in 1 Corinthians 12 and in in Romans 12, you'll you'll find some different references to what we would say is your, your place in the body of Christ. It's the gift that God has put into you that defines your primary role in helping to build the kingdom of heaven. That's where Paul uses the illustration of the body, right? There's a hand and a foot and an arm and an eye and a nose and an ear, and all the parts of your body play a very specific role, and it's the same with the family of God. There's a very specific role that you're supposed to play. I I believe that mine is is teaching and leadership, that, that defines who I am. And, we, and we, we get a little confused with this idea of gift when we talk about spiritual gift because we think of gift in the context of our culture, but that's not really what the word is. The word in the Greek is, is charismata, is its root, and it means the result of grace. Charis is, is grace, and matter is the, the result of. So when you read gift in the Bible in these contexts, it says these things are present in your life as a result of the grace of God. I mean, the only reason it's there is because God put it there. You didn't earn it. your your, your character didn't didn't deserve it, is that God says, I know who you are, and I know the destiny that I've called you to live, and I know the path that I have you on, so I'm going to put some stuff inside of you that's going to equip you and enable you to do the things that I'm asking you to do. Now, is there something that that we've got to do to develop that gift and to exercise that gift? Absolutely, but that's another message for another time. But there are people that in the body of Christ, that they have a prophetic ministry, and oftentimes their prophetic ministry is delivering a message from God to people in a public setting that's in a spiritual language. And in those moments, that's when the Bible says there has to be an interpretation. If you happen to sit up here one week and overhear me worshiping in a spiritual language, that doesn't require an interpretation because you're just eavesdropping on my conversation with God, and that's on you. But if I were to step up in the microphone and, and I felt like that I needed to give a message and I was going to give that message in a spiritual language and all of a sudden now it's God speaking to people, then that should be accompanied by an interpretation. It might be somebody in the room. It can be yourself. That's not true that it can't happen to the person that gives it. That's a, another sermon for another time, but that's a misapplication of God's Word. I'm not going to tell the whole story, but in, in, the, in the fall of 1990, one of the experiences that I had that really led to me making a vow of devotion to Christ, there was an elder at the church that, that we came from. His name was Charlie Bevels. He's about 6'5", about 230, always wore a suit. I'm pretty sure he probably cut his grass in a suit. He was a retired FBI agent, right? He was this big man, a gentle giant, but there was an authority about him. And almost every week that, that there was a, a prophetic message that he brought during the worship set that was in a spiritual language and sometimes he shared the interpretation or somebody. sometimes somebody else said, I'm gonna finish that story in the summer series because one of those moments was a defining moment in my life, in my journey of whether or not I was gonna make a vow of devotion to Christ. This might not be your journey. That might not ever happen to you because that's not your calling in the family of God. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 and 11. I'm just throwing this out to come on, Chris House. If you've not downloaded his new CD that's out there, it is amazing. I can't stop listening to it. And also, he has a chance. If you should go on Facebook, that that there's a at King's Dominion. That there's by what's it called? joy fest you should see our post that we can vote for him and the person that gets the highest vote is going to be a part of that day come on so if i'm just telling if you call this your church home you got to do that stuff right that he has a ministry and a calling on his life and we're excited that he's here but he has a ministry and a calling that's beyond our church and we want to help get behind that all right that's just my little commercial break all right back to our regularly scheduled program 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11, there are moments when people are compelled by God to be an instrument of Him being manifested to the world. This might not happen to you. Now, these are the early list in 1 Corinthians 12. Some people call them manifestational gifts. Some people call them situational gifts. It means that because the Spirit of God lives inside of you, that you are now a candidate to be used by Him in a supernatural way, and maybe in a way that's not your calling is that that you're the person that God chooses and I'm going to use you in this moment to make myself known to the world or make myself known to this person. It doesn't necessarily mean that's going to define who you are in the body of Christ, but here in in this verse early on, it talks about tongues and interpretation of tongues. You might be in a small group setting here at City Life, and and there's just a time of corporate prayer. And All of a sudden, somebody prays out in a spiritual language, and it's not just them praying to God. There's just a self evidencing quality that God's trying to say something to us, and then all of a sudden, you're in that circle and go, I think I know what that's supposed to mean. It's not a translation, it's an interpretation and those two things are very different. You might not understand a word that they said, but in your heart, you feel like you know the meaning of the message that God conveys and then you just say, what I feel like God's sharing with our group, I'm telling you, it's a powerful thing. That doesn't necessarily mean that's gonna become how God uses you for the rest of your life. He just chose to use you in that moment. He's the sovereign God of the creator of the universe. He gets to use us however he wants. There should be something inside of us that said, God, use me in any way. That you want to all the days of my life. I remember years, years ago, years ago, that we were meeting in this room, and, and we had not been here that long, and, and preparing for the service, I felt like God gave me a, a word of encouragement for, for someone, and so I was praying for who I was, I was supposed to give it to, and God spoke to me that they're, it's the person that's going to be sitting to the right of Jenna, right, and so me being the type A personality, I said my right or their right, I wanted, right, so yeah, all right, so so I, I, so, I, so I had this picture of Jenna coming in and sitting down, and it was going to be the person to my right, right, where Marvin and Sharon are sitting. That somebody was going to be sitting there, and the word was for them. But I had a dilemma because Jenna did not go to our church back then. She didn't go, she didn't go here, and she didn't even visit very often. So I said, okay, God, you know Jenna doesn't come to our church, right? right? He, she doesn't go here. I think you know, this message was for Christoph, my brother-in-law, because right, she goes to Christian Life Center, and they, our wires got crossed or something. God, no, she's going to be there tonight. I said, all right, all right, right. So we show up, and during worship set, and I, I see somebody coming in a little bit late, and, and, and they sit right there, and it kind of catches my eye, and I turn around, and I was like, oh, Jenna's here. Ah, right? <laughs> right? I mean, God wants stuff like this to happen to us. And I looked just down, and it was Tim and Lynn Dodd were sitting right next to Jenna. I don't even remember the word that was spoken, they might, and I just remember. So I told that story that night, and then I just went over and prayed over Tim and Lynn Dodd. It was a powerful moment for us. I did a blog about it called Rite of Jenna, (laughs) because I'm clever that way. That, that doesn't happen to me. I, I, I would, I, there's, are, there's times where I move in the prophetic, but usually it's in the context of teaching. I would not say that, that I'm a prophetic person like Celeste is a prophetic person, if you know Celeste, right? You with me? There are people that just move in the prophetic. Vanessa's a very prophetic person. That's not my calling in the body of Christ, but there's times where God says, but I'm going to use you in that way today. Spiritual language. Sometimes it's, it defines your prophetic ministry. That's one way the Bible talks about it. Sometimes it's just God uses you to manifest Himself to the world in a moment that is incredibly supernatural. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, 18, does anybody know who those two handsome people are in that picture? Yeah? It's Nate and Laura Nowotny. Not, not Laura, not Laura. Sorry, Amanda. Nate and Amanda. Now who's Amanda Hiltz? But that's Amanda Nowotny. Nate didn't know that picture. Somebody outed you with a hashtag, Pick me. Right, that was when he was hoping to be a professional golfer, back then. Back then, he was going for that, going for that look. There is the ability to express ourselves to God in times of prayer and worship unencumbered by human intellect and earthly language. This is for everybody. This is why I say I think spiritual language is the most practical thing that you'll ever read in this book. Is it supernatural? Yes. Is it otherworldly? Yes, is there a mystery to it that we'll never understand? Absolutely, but there is a practical nature to this gift that God wants to give to us because he's a perfect father and all of us have been at times in our lives where we could not find the words, whether in times of great joy or times of great sorrow, in times of prayer and trying to communicate to other people and we say, I just can't find the words to express it. All of us have used that phrase at some point in our lives and God looks down, the creator, the sovereign creator of the heavens and the earth and he says, I don't want you to ever have to say that to me. I want you to to be able to express yourself to me in a way that is unencumbered by earthly language and human intellect. I want you to be able to communicate with me in a way that goes beyond your human experience. There's gonna be feelings that you're gonna have in your heart that are so big that you don't know what to do with them, and I want you to be able to step into moments of worship and moments of prayer and open up your mouth and let your heart just begin to flow, and you can have this feeling of just talking to me that's beautiful and sacred and precious, and private, and personal, and it's something that we just share together. Why wouldn't God do that for the world? Why? Why? I think it was one of his greatest ideas. I know we're off the clock a little bit, so I'm not gonna... Tell the story I was I share it a couple of times a year, so if you want to hear it, then you're just gonna have to keep coming because I'll come back to it at some point. But will I understand isn't that a great picture of Tyler preaching his first sermon at RC on a Wednesday night recently? Come on. <laughs> Using the sound booth back there, making the mix right, and then he was up here not too long ago giving the word to our young people. We love you, Tyler Lee. Come on. Will I understand what I'm saying? This is my our, our last question. You might say, well, Fred, if I don't understand what I'm saying, what good is it? And what I would say to you that sometimes communication goes deeper because it goes beyond understanding. That there is a place of connection in the heart with God that He wants you to have. And you don't need to understand intellectually everything that's being said because what we know, a principle that's true, is that, that acts of expression lead to feelings of intimacy. First Corinthians Fourteen twenty six says, well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, one will sing and another will teach and another will tell someone a special revelation that God has given and one will speak in a, a spiritual language and another will interpret what is said, but everything that is done must strengthen all of you. This is the Greek word that gives us the word edifice or to edify, it means to build up. I'm telling you, there are moments of expression that God wants you to have that's about building something up inside of you and it's a wonderful thing. Anybody here who's ever had a child, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you talk to that child when you're pregnant with that child. If you're a a, a husband here tonight, a father and your wife has has given birth, you've talked to that child And, and one of the most amazing things is when that child is born, that child recognizes your voice because you've been talking to that child from the day that they were conceived. There is zero intellectual exchange between you and that child, but there is a heart connection that is absolutely undeniable. And God put so many things in this natural world that are a a metaphor and to help us to understand the things of the kingdom. You do not need to always understand what you're saying to God to connect with Him at an emotional level. And the one word that God picked to define our relationship with Him is not knowledge, He picked love. And so he's put some things in this world that cause that bond of love between us and him to grow ever stronger and to go for always deeper. i going to invite the worship team to come back up. I, I know we're off the clock just a little bit, but it's my anniversary, so you should let me preach as long as I want. Just saying. My birthday in March, and our anniversary both fell on Saturdays this year. And can I just say there was no, there is no place that I would rather be with my family and this family on the days that are the most special for us. I said that to make you feel guilty if you're mad at me for going long. I'm just, This book, if if all the things that I'm talking about are new for you, if there's if there's only one book besides the Bible that you're going to read about spiritual language, it is this book. It's it's the beauty of spiritual language by Jack Hayford. It is absolutely phenomenal. It's absolutely amazing. If you've never read this book, you should pick it up. He tells this story in this chapter about how. One Christmas, that that he and his his kids decided they were going to give his wife this really nice present, but it was a little bit smaller in stature, and so they wrapped it in a really small box, and they did the thing that right you should at least do once in your life, where they put that box inside of another box, inside of another box, inside of another box, inside of this huge box, right? And she kept having to go through all these boxes, and every time it wasn't just a box, but there was more wrapping paper, and she had to keep whittling her way down, right? There's anticipation, there's excitement until they get to the final gift, and so he says, in reality, the whole of salvation is wrapped in one large package, Jesus. So from the inception of our new life in Christ, we have the full bounty of all that is promised us. But just as my wife needed to unwrap each of the individual gifts within the larger gift box, it is similarly true that each of us is called to partake, to decisively open and receive to ourselves each of the many blessings and provisions and gifts that God has for us. There is a theological accuracy in the proposition that everything we receive from God is delivered to us when we receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, but equally important, love this phrase, there is a practical necessity. There's a theological accuracy, and then there's a practical necessity. The application of each facet of God's resource for our lives depends upon our unwrapping what he's provided. You and I need to take, to receive, to open each portion within the promise taking it unto ourselves, opening to the possibilities inherent in each part of the full dimensions of life we've been given through Jesus Christ. Stand with me. Father, as we sing this song tonight, let it be that someone would experience tonight for the very first time an infilling like they've never felt before let it be that that tonight that every person in here would would be a snow globe in the hands of a sovereign God and if we look into the story of our life and we can find that we've made a vow of devotion to Christ that we know your spirit is living inside of us but there is an infilling that you long for us to know, an infilling that you long for us to have and there's moments like this where you reach down and you just begin to shake us up and we begin to feel the spirit of God welling up inside of us and the spirit that fills this room it just begins to surround us and even in that moment may it be for someone here tonight that earthly language would just fall short And there would be a syllable here or a syllable there of some language, some articulation that maybe doesn't quite make sense to their natural mind, but in their heart that they know that they're experiencing something of you. And all of a sudden the thoughts of their heart that were too big, too beyond for understanding that they find themselves in a moment of expression with their heavenly father and with their creator that's nothing short of the miracle that can take place between the perfect father and every child, come on, let's worship together. I
1: want to know your heart, I want to know your heart, cause your love is so much sweeter than anything I've tasted. I want to know your heart, I want to know your heart. So for I want to know your heart, I want to know your heart, cause your love is so much sweeter than anything I've tasted, I want to know your heart, I want to know your heart, so me. And take me a little deeper. I wanna know your heart. I wanna know your, your love is stronger. Your love is so much stronger than anything I've tasted. I wanna know your heart. I wanna know.
0: how I want to close tonight just gonna, just going to invite you, I know it takes some courage but if you're here tonight and you would say Fred, I, you know I'm talking to myself here, I have control issues at times in my life, am I the only one? and then sometimes those control issues are the things that, that just they stand in the way of us experiencing the deeper things of heaven they stand in the way of, of, of us taking the steps that we're supposed to take. And I don't know what step you're supposed to take. I'm not talking about steps. I'm just talking about the impediment that many of us suffer from. So I'm raising my own hand tonight, but I'm just, if you would be so bold, I'm just gonna pray. I'm not gonna ask you to do anything else. You would say, Fred, I, I hear you. I know that I've got control issues. And those control issues, that sometimes they cause me to resist God. I'm just, if that's you, I'm just gonna invite you to raise your hand. I just wanna pray with you tonight. I just wanna pray with you. Father, as we raise our hands to you tonight, let it be that we would not allow our humanity to stand in the way of divinity any longer. That in the moments that we come to in life, like this moment that we're in right now, that we would just let our heart yield to you in every way. That we, that we would be at a place where total deference. Total surrender. We know, God, we can't live in that place perfectly because that's what Jesus did, but we can more perfectly step into that moment at times in our lives. And for all of us this week, God, for all of us who have our hands raised up, let it be that we would all take a step to yield a little bit more, to defer a little bit longer, to surrender a little bit deeper, to give ourselves to you a little bit more fully. Come on, in Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen, amen. Hey, we want to give a quick shout-out to Chris's friend on the drums tonight coming in, being with us. Come on. It's good to have you here with us, brother. Good to have you here. I'm going right now because I'm leading that meeting for the NISEM trip, so I'm going to scoot out. If you're planning on going to that NISEM trip, it is not going to be a long meeting. I'm going to invite you to go with me into that room that's just in that back corner, and we're just going to go over a few details. So if that trip has piqued your interest in any way, then I trust that you're going to meet me there. If not, we'll see you next week.